Welcome to The Experience Makers, a brand new podcast series from Cognify, WPP Marketing Technology Consultancy. I'm Jo Milne, I'm a journalist, and once a month I'm going to be reimagining customer experience with Cognify and their guests from across the marketing technology industry. We're going to delve into everything from what today's consumer really wants, right through to technology that feeds the experience economy and digital transformation. Whatever stage of the digital journey you're on, if you're in business today, this one is for you. Welcome to episode three of The Experience Makers. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about re-engineering the enterprise for experience. We're going to be joined by Herb van der Raad, Director of Client Strategy at Cognified. And he's going to be talking about how traditional businesses need to re-engineer the way they work to capitalise on tech investment and optimise the customer experience. Joining Herb, we're going to have two of the guys from Realize, who are a new startup transforming the residential property investment sector. We're going to have the COO, Nick Eucher, and the head of customer success will parsons we're going to dive into the differences between b2b and b2c when it comes to experience and talk about how is it that you can re-engineer your enterprise for this experience age guys thanks so much for joining us on the podcast why don't we start by hearing a little bit about what it is that you guys do and why this topic is of interest herb let's start with you yes i'm herb van der Rade. i look after client strategy for cognified so in essence that's making sure that all of our clients getting the most out of their digital investments. Re-engineering the enterprise, why, why that's close to my heart. I'm a career consultant. I've been doing consulting pretty much since I started working. And it has always been about business transformation. But there are some really new things in digital which make this type of transformation that much more special. Amazing. Awesome. Nick, why don't we go on to you next? So uh, I'm Nikolai Yuker. I'm the CEO of Realize. So really what we are is uh, we're a big data platform. If you think about it, the, the real estate industry is, is probably one of the most archaic ones when it comes to information technology and, and just access to data. And so one of the things that we, I think, are the pioneers and ultimately just the, the key drivers of is access to information and and how do we make it a lot easier for our customers as a whole and so for us everything we do is ultimately just about revolutionizing an industry and and digitalizing it completely awesome and finally will i'm will i'm head of customer success at realize part of my role i'd say is to as the name suggests, is to make your your client successful. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about how you re-engineer the enterprise, Tim, for this kind of digital age, this experience age. Before we do that, why don't we maybe define what good experience means? And one of the big questions that kind of happens in this space quite a lot is: Is there a difference between B two C and B two B? So, Herb, maybe we can start with you. Do you think there's a difference, and and if so, what does good experience mean in, in either of those contexts? There is a difference, but. The difference is narrowing, and I think that uh, it, it is becoming far more blurred. So if we take it from a B2C perspective, for example, things that make it a good experience where customers see that you're tailoring what you do to me. We hear a lot about personalization. Uh, we hear a lot about multi-channel engagement and so on and so forth. If you look at it from a customer perspective, it is, have you used the insight that you've developed about me to add that much more value to me. And the companies that are doing that well, that's where you see a real difference and differentiation through customer experience. From a B2B perspective, uh, there's similarities, uh, similarities, but there are also big differences. So I'll start with the differences. With B2B, it's not so much around tailoring that specific uh, message to me. It's about the ease of navigation. I need to be able to find something. I need to be able to get something done and I need to get that done seamlessly. 
Mm. And the more you should be able to tailor experiences to uh, business customers in that way, that starts to become that value-add driver. And I suppose in both contexts, you have to know the customer really, really well in order to then satisfy either that sort of efficiency, efficiency, making things easy versus personalized. You know, either way it is about knowing and understanding. Yeah, and I think uh, probably on the B2C side, the level of customer insight probably ratchets up quite quite a lot mm. more from a B, uh, B2B perspective. It's more those use cases. What do t- uh, people typically come here to do? And how well can we tailor what we, um, how we provide the experience to, to enable those use cases? And, and from your perspective, Nick, I mean, real estate is kind of known as being an industry that, I mean, you said right at the start that it's one of the more traditional industries and one of the, sometimes there is a bit more friction there. How do you guys, you know, being a newer company in the space, how have you thought about rethinking experience for something that can be quite clunky mm. um, for those customers in that space? I mean, I think it's, I think it's really important just to to, to state that you know we are a, a young business, and I think what a lot of people think that you know once you're a disruptor, you always have it right right mm. away. The truth is, we don't. You know, I think we're we're in a position now over the last two three years where we're really getting to to understand our customers' needs, and it's it's always just kind of evolving and constantly learning and understanding what it is that the customer wants. And I think for us, you know. Uh, if you wanted to define what a great customer experience is, it's really just kind of fulfilling the, the the needs of the customer and ultimately making that part of your core offering. You know, we're a big data business, so everything we do has to constantly improve and constantly evolve because the needs ultimately change a lot. And B2B for us is very much metrics driven. How can I economize basically time spent and money spent? So I think that for us are the two key things that our customers look for. But let's talk a little bit about how it is that you actually engineer experience into the into the root of your business or re-engineer if it's not already there so Herb why don't um, you tell us a little bit about what are the key tenets of engineering experience into the business the traditional sort of triumvirate of driving transformation was always around people process technology I think one of the main things that does make digital quite different uh, is what I would say is the fourth tenet which is data the big thing that makes digital different is how data and insights can be developed through offering an exceptional experience. So the better my experience is, the more people will engage with my proposition, the more people engage with my proposition, the deeper the insight and the data that I get. And it's effectively that data part, which you you could look at as if that's the new big corporate asset, if you could you know, quantify data, put it on your balance sheet and say, we have an asset worth something over here in terms of the level of data and insights that we have around our customers, who they are, how they're segmented, what their needs are, what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy. That then gives you a fundamental input into how you drive the rest of your business. So some of the things that when we're working with traditional companies around becoming more digital, the the biggest challenge that we have is in terms of driving a bit of a, di- a difference in, uh, in terms of thinking. If we go back to traditional website development, for example, an agency we would come up with a fantastic new design, look at what your website's going to look like, and then build it and say, here's your f- shiny new website. Woohoo, rah, rah, and that was it. It was fantastic. <laughs> nice new website. And that was almost sort of the end, mm. um, whereas now that is only bare beginning. What we Mm -hmm. thought 
the customer would engage with on what we designed as our fantastic new website was only an assumption. Even if you do primary market research and that kind of thing, it is always going to be an assumption. It's from that point when you put your proposition out there and customers actually start to engage with it, that's the start. Now you start to measure what impact is it having? What is that impact is it having in terms of the customer outcome and what uh, the customer expects to, uh, to achieve from that? And then being able to tie that saying, that customer outcome, is that driving the business metrics and the business value that we expect to be able to realize by providing that customer experience? So if it's brand equity based, a lot of propositions out there just to drive greater awareness and preference of the brand. It's the, um, it's the replacement of having t- TV ads as being mm. real and relevant in the digital space, all the way through to directly driving sales conversions uh, and so on and so forth. So using that, that data and insight to be able to optimize and change and build on what you have as a digital proposition, understanding what those customer outcomes are that you're trying to drive and those linked to, is that driving our brand equity, our revenue growth, the level of customer loyalty that, we, that we're expecting as a result. I thought it was interesting, Nick, that you actually sort of introduced your company as a, a data company. You know, mm-hmm. That was the first thing you said. And I think, you know, particularly with you guys being newer, the, the sort of capability or the ability for you guys to start with the data and then build from that um, has been there. How does it work or how do you guys think about if you have lots of data, finding the right action off the back of that data, sifting through it, finding the right insights, finding the most appropriate insights, it's all fine and well to to collect it and set up the means for doing it. But um, being able to optimize the time that you're analyzing versus the time that you then take an action, how Mm -hmm. do you guys sort of work with data in that respect? It's an interesting question. I think it's actually a bit broader than that. It's actually taking a step back and and really just looking at the market because anyone can provide data, that's Mm. the truth, you know? Um, but it's how you present that data. So for us, I think what we've really found quite interesting and also challenging in many ways is kind of recreating that whole experience because at the end of the day, we have one platform which ultimately spits out quite a bit of data, which is interesting and valuable, but the truth is it's also about educating customers behind that and how they can use it. And educating customers or ultimately the, the anyone who's using that platform, there's so much more behind it. So when you look at the, the tenants of, I guess, the I guess, uh, experience enterprise, I think one of the things we've realized was that uh, we started focusing a lot on the people. Because anyone has, uh, you know, technology. Technology is quite easy to use, quite frankly, and it's pure, purely almost as, as as Will will probably agree, it's an enabler. Mm-hmm. Um, and but at the end of the day, it starts with the people in the organization. So we put a lot of emphasis on the actual culture within the business. So for us, it's absolutely uh, critical, really, for them to completely understand what the concept of customer experience is. Because at any point in time, a customer of ours will probably have various different touch points within the business. You know from Will's side, which is the customer success, to the sales aspect, to the marketing website, to actually using the platform. So there's so many different levels of exposure. And for us, it's all about trying to invest as much as we can into the people. uh, And ultimately, they will then take care of our customers like that. And what does that look like? Is that a sort of putting them in the customer's shoes? Is it training? Is it like, how do you kind of you know, it's quite hard to kind of replicate the feeling of being a customer, seeing something for the first time when mm. you've been working for a company for a certain amount of time. So how do, how do you kind of get that culture to be so customer focused um, and then 
being able to have them understand how a customer is feeling. It's feedback. I think what a lot of startups are really good at is is basically collecting data. Because let's look at it this way: a lot of these companies are disruptors, so naturally, you know, they're core focus is looking at doing things differently. And that's what Realize is. You know, we are a business that are doing something completely different. I think three years ago when we started, no one was really doing what we were doing. And and because of that, we have a very different approach. So for us, I think it's it's taking that feedback on board. I mean, Will spends a huge amount of time, uh, you know, working with our customers in the onboarding process. Then, you know, our head of product also uh, probably speaks to our clients quite a lot, I think almost weekly mm-hmm. or as much as possible. And it's always trying to be two steps ahead of how we can improve that experience. And how do you think about it, Herb, from the perspective of the, the more incumbent businesses? You know, you mentioned earlier that it, it can be quite a mindset shift for people who haven't, you know, you said been brought up with digital, but however you want to put it in terms mm-hmm. of um, in terms of the kind of readiness to be working in a more digital first or data first environment. So how do you kind of gently and in an empowering way try and shift culture so that it makes more sense? I think that there has to be a certain amount of empathy. You've got to realize that um, the model of success in this type of environment is very different to the model of success which has driven people's careers in the past. So if I've been an effective marketer, and even in the digital age, um, looking at things like uh, campaigns and being able to plan a a multi-channel campaign, which, um, you know, uh, with some marketing automation tools, sending out different emails to different segments and that kind of thing. Just that one activity is, uh, when you look at it in a, in a siloed fashion, I could be extremely effective in terms of running that campaign and getting those emails out and even driving some return back into the business from that. But that is a functional, almost you know siloed view of saying, I'm here to try and get emails out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know how to do that. And I've been doing that successfully for the last five years. Um, having empathy for mm-hmm. uh, the the fact that that has been valuable mm. and it has been a good foundational thing. But to bring somebody from that kind of background into, I need now to start thinking about orchestrating an experience, not from what I want to push out, but I, uh, from the customer's perspective mm-hmm. saying, how do we uh, get the right engagement with the customer at the right point mm-hmm. through the right channel? It's something I'm not familiar with. Mm. It's it challenges my model of success of the past, and that is the the, the b- biggest thing to first of all be aware of. This is where things like what we do in terms of enablement beyond training. Anybody can be trained on a tool. Mm-hmm. Anybody can be trained on a new process. But when you, we think about enablement, it, it is helping practitioners understand what the new use cases are of being mm-hmm. able to uh, r- run a business in this way. What does that use case mean in terms of what I've traditionally been able to do? But then rather than making it scary is, mm. here's the art of the possible. Look at what you could be doing. Actually, <laughs> as opposed to some of the transformations that have done in the past in you know things like HR and finance and that kind of thing where you know it's actually quite difficult to get those things done and get people engaged, we're talking about customer experience over here it's exciting yeah. you know it's mm. it's great you know people should be really geared up and, and quite motivated around it so painting that art of the puzzle and showing this is how it could be in, if done right can be a very motivating factor rather than mm. 
being seen as a risk and challenging my model of success of the past. I mean, does that have to come from a top-down level? You know, I mean, do you think that's a sort of like a CEO coming in, bombastic, look, we're going to do this new customer experience, kind of like, you know, Steve Jobs on stage doing cool stuff with Apple. Like, how do you how do you look, it get that vibe? You know? Yeah, look, it, it doesn't harm to have that, that top-down view and that top-down buy-in. I mean, one of our biggest clients, the CEO, is uh, uh, talking about driving one billion meaningful interactions through digital. So it does set, set a tone and it, uh, it does uh, allow folks to understand that this is important to the business, but it needs to be more pervasive than that. Mm, it I needs agree. to be with uh, the, the, you know, uh, where the rubber hits the road. We, um, uh, in the, the marketing up. departments, in the operational departments, it's uh, yeah. it has to be at that level. Otherwise, it, it, it is it's empty words you guys are nodding away I can see I mean the way I see sort of customer experience I think it does need to come from a top down approach in terms of your leader basically has to say this is this is how our company is going to be perceived and this is how we're going to be. I think if you for especially for a startup where you have a limited amount of people within a company it, with that CEO is hiring then they're hiring the specific people that obviously fit within um the company's values so that does the culture will sort of start to come from there i think as well in terms of looking at it from that macro point of view it's about especially for cx it's about sort of looking at it from the customer's journey and you can see obviously when they first came when they first came in contact with your your business and throughout and sort of that renewing especially within SaaS. but then i think for us what we're looking to do is then come in and look at more of a more of that micro view, so looking at it from the departmental and then those miniature sort of touch points in between there. I think that's an interesting contrast, mm. uh, especially with a you know, startup or uh, a disruptor where you say, mm. for example, that I mean that the CEO really gets it. Mm -hmm. In a way, a lot yeah. of traditional companies, uh, the senior exec, understand that it's important, but in terms of really getting it, there are, there are probably only a few CEOs that really get it at that yep. extent, which is why you see mm. so many chief digital officers being appointed on uh, on boards. Yeah. I think it's also just because they're the visionaries usually, you know, they've come up with the idea. I mean, okay, there, there are times and when the CEO changes, you know, once the business goes through various uh, growth uh, forms. But I think it's uh, usually the founder and the CEO are the ones who are kind of pushing the agenda. And it's about setting the stage and a platform from which ultimately all departments and all kind of team members can then thrive off of and, and just be able to kind of take that culture and take that same mentality and just integrate it into all uh, kind of work processes. Let's talk a little bit about technology then and, and what these sorts of um, new opportunities are that are out there that allow for companies to build better experiences when we spoke about data but a bit more specifically what sorts of platforms are um, interesting to companies what sort of you know is AI something that people can be tapping into right now how do, how do you start getting on board with what's out there? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think when you're looking at technology, it's it's really it's an interesting one. For us, we use something called Intercom, and the way that we use Intercom is is sort of two ways. So, first of all, we have it on our marketing website. So, if a potential customer or a current client comes onto our website, it then filters them through by using a bot. So they can say, "Are you a client? Are you sort of um, looking to buy something, or do you want to speak to a certain department?" And the nice thing about that is that it just filters that person straight through to exactly where they want to be. But on the other side, the way that we, we're using Intercom is so that our current clients, when they're using our website, they can type in questions. And what it does is it then takes certain articles that are from a, a very extensive help center and it puts those articles in front of them. And if perhaps that isn't 
what they're looking for, then of course they can get in touch. So, so that that's a main sort of thing for us. But again, I think in in terms of other sort of technologies, it's technologies for the UX, the UI guys. So for them to be able to see our clients' sessions and see perhaps where the pain points are, that's a really strong one for us. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen an interesting trend when we look at, uh, across the customer experience tech landscape where even as recent as two, three years ago, you'd see a plethora of best of breed solutions. So, you know, um, in each area of uh, digital experience, uh, very strong uh, tools and technologies. A big trend that we're seeing is is actually away from those best of breed solutions to things that are uh, far more readily integrated as a suite of connected things. And I'd, uh, mm-hmm. I'd say from a platform solutions. The other big thing is what real-time decisioning and AI bring to the mm. table. Where it's becoming far more interesting is more the real-time decision we're making. So based on the last five things that you've just done, what is the next best action? Mm-hmm. And that level of real-time decision-making and uh, AI, I, I think, is making digital customer experience a, a far more uh, exciting space. I think it also, with, when you're talking about AI, I think the nice thing is that it, it frees up your, your colleagues, your employees, to do more high-level things. So rather than having to necessarily answer a phone and pass them through to people, you've got the AI that does that, or even answering particular questions in terms of if someone needs help. I think the one, if we're going to talk about a pitfall of AI or pit places where people do slightly, they probably don't go down the right path with it, is I would say is when they disguise AI to be a real human being. Mm-hmm. I think what chatbot type yeah, of yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what that really does is that as soon as you get given an answer, an answer which actually makes no sense or relevance to what you said, you just take away all that trust straight away from your client. But so I, I think it's really important. There's mm. also, I think, one of the things where tech disruptors or startups are trying to just automate too much. You know, if, if we look at the experience age nowadays, everyone wants to feel connected. Everyone wants to have that experience, as you said, you know, especially for B2C customers, very much tailored to me. And I think it's about developing trust. And where a lot of startups uh, are now kind of struggling is trying to automate too much and lose that human interaction, which is something I think a lot of them are slowly starting to realize and finding, you know, a way to, 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 to minimize that uh, technological exposure. Um, but I think one of the interesting points you mentioned earlier, Herb, is the, the integration part, you know, going from about, uh, you know, all these different platforms which are there to, to help you within within your business. We actually had a similar uh, situation uh, quite recently. You know, we had about, I think, eight different platforms that were all geared towards our marketing and sales efforts. And what we realized was that we were duplicating, somewhat working as well as we wanted to. And we went from eight down to basically two, maximum now three uh, systems, and of which one basically took probably about four different uh, different platforms and put it all into one. Um, and, and that was purely just for us to find a way to, to minimize the amount of time spent working across all these different platforms and trying to just have one integrated suite into everything that we were yeah. doing. And help you focus on your business exactly, and yeah. what you actually do rather than being a systems integrator. Oh, yeah. And the admin beyond, uh, with the mm. whole thing, it was just, it was a nightmare to deal with. I mean, the KPIs and everything else, you just scrap it and you just have one system. It's beautiful. Mm. Speaking of KPIs, how would you guys um, measure good experience? Or rather, maybe, yes. I'll, maybe I'll rephrase that. What do you, who gets it right? Would you give us some good examples? Mm. Of- so yeah, I think in terms of measuring one, it, it's very difficult because it's not, it's not a tangible 
thing to measure experience. You kind of ask someone, did you have a good experience? Did you not? Mm. Um, I think within the technology industry, you can use a certain amount of metrics when you want to measure it. So you've got sort of revenue metrics and then you've got retention metrics. So you can look at a basic one, which all SaaS companies look at, is going to be churn. So you can look at the revenue churn. How much money have you lost over a certain period compared to at the start or in terms of your, your customers? How many have you lost from the, by the end and from the start? Now, that is all good and well, but I think you need to use, if you want to measure great experience, you want to use lots of different metrics all together in one because one doesn't provide you with the answer so you need that holistic view ones that sort of i would definitely say are you've got the nps score so your net promoter score so as most people know it's from a scale of naught to ten nine to ten being a promoter seven to eight being passive and then anything less than that's a detractor now i think that is a good that's a good way of me- sort of measuring however it it doesn't tell you the why mm. So if someone gives you 9 out of 10, great, brilliant, but, but why have you given me 9 out of 10? So it doesn't necessarily answer that, so it's quite broad. It doesn't help you make it better for those who are lower on the scale either, right? No, no, no. Yeah. which is why sort of from looking at uh, sort of reasonable researching very recently about what we should be doing instead, we're looking at sort of CES scores, so which is customer effort scores. So it, it, what would happen is after a, a particular interaction or anywhere really you could say look well how difficult was it to do this or how hard was it to do this and the good thing about saying how hard it was is because it's sort of self-effacing to the company and then you can get much more information about that um, and then of course moving on you've then got CSAT scores to your customer satisfaction surveys and really those are sort of did you have a good time thumbs up thumbs down emojis basically mm. and those re- they need to be used very carefully because I think you want to be using those at the right times. And those are very good at points, perhaps, if someone's had a password reset. How was that for you? Thumbs up, thumbs down. That gives you an idea in real time in terms of what's happening. And it's interesting that you kind of split it between uh, customer effort and customer satisfaction, because mm-hmm. I, I always think with customer experience, you know, there's this sort of bombastic kind of let's make this really fun and awesome mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. surprise and delight and yeah. make people feel really good. Mm-hmm. But then you've got the other side, which is actually um, just making it simple for folk yeah. and, and, oh, yeah. and not annoying people. Simplicity is amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And what about some of the good examples you've seen over the years, her case study or a nice use case where people have, have employed really good experience, maybe something simple? Net promoter um, and uh, maybe something which is very similar, but uh, to what you're talking about, net ease scores. Okay. Mm-hmm. So net promoter score, net ease score, net promoter. How would, uh, how likely are you to recommend this to a friend? Type mm-hmm. of uh, score, net ease. How easy was it for you to do what yeah. you came here to do? Mm-hmm. Very similar things, right? Mm-hmm. But the. The other things that I think are maybe a, a couple of the lead indicators to what is impacting the net ease and the net promoter, that actually becomes a bit of an industry to to put in the right metrics to to measure things. So if I do have a uh, an ambition, if I'm an investment management firm and I want to make sure that when somebody comes to do their share, share dealing online that they can get in, they can see their portfolio, they can affect a transaction and out, and that's done super. The things that then can be put in place throughout that is understanding what should that look like for the customer and then start measuring at each interaction point. For retailer, for example, have people been able to land on our site and go from that initial landing experience into the right product discovery experience 
easily and seamlessly. Mm-hmm. So you can measure bounce rates and flows um, uh, mm-hmm. into that, that part of the experience. Once I've been in the product discovery experience, have I been able to scroll through and find and select mm-hmm. the product uh, effectively so you can look at dwell times and you can look at... So there's a whole lot of those kinds of metrics that can be put in place. Mm-hmm. But we, we've seen cases where those kinds of metrics are in place, but because it hasn't been tied to, mm-hmm. the goal over here is to get to a mm-hmm. improved net ease score or the goal over here is to try and drive increased customer conversions that you look, look at that uh, metric in isolation and uh, mm-hmm. do something about it, but not really understanding uh, the mm-hmm. linkage. So I think it does take that both understanding mm-hmm. that end objective and then if you do have what we we typically see as, let's say, common KPIs in, in the digital space, that those things need to be fairly linked together. So when mm-hmm. somebody's looking at a dwell time mm-hmm. um, on a landing experience where you want to get people from a landing experience into a product or a consumption logic as quickly and smoothly as possible, mm-hmm. dwell time is bad. <laughs> 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 when they're in the product <laughs> discovery, <Yep. laughs> dwell time is good. <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, and it's true. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we, we have worked with, uh, with clients when they're looking at the, uh, the landing page and they go, oh, our dwell, dwell times are, are very bad. We need mm-hmm. to try and get them up. No, why? Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> they're going from your landing experience into where they, where they want to be mm-hmm. you know, quickly. That's good. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. I'd say, yeah, just sort of going on from the NPS, I think one thing I think people forget is, is advocacy. I think advocacy is a great way of measuring a great customer experience. If a customer's had a great experience, they're not going to sort of shout about it. So I've had the most amazing experience when they haven't. So if you're getting logo use, large companies are letting you use it within your marketing. If you're getting testimonials and you're getting case studies from them, I think that's a fantastic way of measuring for us from a B2B perspective how a whole company sort of feels about us absolutely but not necessarily about the single user within the company mm. um so that's definitely a metric that we do we do follow for sure so to finish off i'm going to ask mm-hmm. you guys all for a little bit of advice i think it would be uh, great to hear from each of you what processes do you think companies should be putting in place to make them fit and i think a lot of people sort of in this day and age they they listen in order to respond and my view is that you should you should listen not to respond but more so to understand and then once you understand then you can act but it's about sort of once you get that information giving it to the right stakeholders within your company and everyone needs to be part of of knowing what is happening when it, with any of your customers okay so we've got holistic mm. mindful feedback i yeah. like it okay what's the next piece of advice take the page uh, out of the book of one of my retail customers and that is having a personification of the customer that the whole organization can get around, uh, get get behind. So they don't refer to the customer; they refer to Kate. What does this mean for Kate? Kate is just you know any customer in any market, um, but just having that name attached and start to personify the customer into that way, uh, it's had a profound effect in terms of how everybody from you know. Uh, uh, back-end warehouse all the way through to folks that are driving the marketing website actually start to get behind we're here for Kate what does this mean for Kate we should have said that at the start of the podcast we could have been mm. talking about Kate the whole that's time that's a good one okay mm. so we've got personification of Kate as the second piece of advice Nick you're gonna wrap us up yeah I think I think mine is just a bit more I think overarching it 
it boils down to uh, the idea of just being a learning organization from the very beginning in everything that we do. And being a learning organization constantly allows us to improve what we're doing internally and ultimately, you know, just increase the customer's experience. So if you instill that into the into the mindset of the business, then I think that for us is, is, is a great way of just looking at it from a um, as a as a really good process to have. Yeah, sort of cultural, lear- mm-hmm. learning culture within the organization, Absolutely. which of course is also great for employees themselves too, and not just about always serving Kate, but also serving those that work for you too. Absolutely. Because um, in one of the um, previous interviews we did, we talked a lot about the the fact that um, if you don't have the employees on board and they're not sort of, and we talked earlier about them kind of embodying this culture, um, it's, it's going to probably come across as uh, rubbish or fake mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes Absolutely. to trying to deliver experience. Yeah. Okay, guys, awesome. Thank you to the three of you for sharing all of your insights. Um, lots of actions at the end there. And thank you for joining us on the podcast. You've been listening to The Experience Makers, a Cognified podcast. You can follow us at Cognified on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram, or you can visit us at Cognified.com. Make sure you look out for next month's episode. We're going to continue the experience conversation and continue bridging the marketing technology divide.